Chapter Fifteen of It's Like This Cat. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jaliva Mulligan. It's Like This Cat by Emily Cheney Neville. Chapter Fifteen Dollars and Cats. Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. I go down to Delicatessen to buy some coke, so I can really enjoy myself watching TV. Tom is just finishing work at a flower shop, and I ask him if he wants to come along home. Nah, thanks. I got to be at work early tomorrow. He doesn't sound too cheery. How's the job going? Okay, I guess. We walk along a little ways. The job's not bad, but I don't want to be a florist all my life. And I can't see if this job will train me for anything else. And that seems pretty true. It must be tough not getting regular holidays off too. You have to work all day tomorrow, I ask. I open the store up at seven and start working on orders we've already got. I get through around three or four. Hey, you want to come for dinner? We're not eating till evening. Tom grins. You cooking the dinner? Maybe you'd better ask your mother. It'll be all right with Mum. Look, I'll ask her and come let you know in the store tomorrow. Okay? Mm, well, sure. Thanks. I've got a date with Hilda later in the evening, but she's got to eat with her forks first. Okay. See you tomorrow. Right. Mum says it's all right about Tom coming, so I go down and tell him in the morning. Turns out, Mum has asked Kate to have dinner with us too, which is quite a step. For Kate, I mean. I think she would have turned the invitation down, except no one can bear to hurt Mum's feelings. Kate's been in our house before, of course, but then she just came in to chat or have tea or something. It wasn't like an invitation. She comes, and she looks like someone from another world. I've never seen her in anything but her old skirt and sneakers, so the good clothes she's wearing now must have been hanging in a closet twenty years. The dress and shoes are way out of style, and she's carrying a real old black patent leather pocketbook. Usually she just lugs her old clothes shopping bag, mostly full of cat goodies. Come to think of it, that's it. Kate lives in a world that is just a Rona and the cats. I never saw her trying to fit in the ordinary world before. Cat knows her right away, though. Clothes don't fool him. He rubs her leg and curls up on the sofa beside her still keeping a half-open eye on the oven door in the kitchen where the turkey is roasting. Tom comes in also in city clothes, a white shirt and tie and jacket, and the first time I ever saw him in them. He sits down on the other side of Cat, who stretches one paw out toward him negligently. Looking at Kate and Tom sitting there on the sofa, both looking a little ill at ease, I get a funny idea. My family is starting to collect people, the way Kate collects homeless cats. Of course, Kate and Tom aren't homeless. They're peopleless, not part of any family. I think Mum always wanted more people to take care of, so she's glad to have them. Kidding, I asked Kate. How many cats at your home for Thanksgiving dinner? She stops stroking Cat a minute and thinks. Hmm... 
Susan's got four new kittens, just got their eyes open. A beautiful little orange one and three tigers. Then there's two big kittens, strays, and one old stray tom. Makes eight, that's all. Sometimes I've had lots more than that. Doesn't a landlord ever object? Pop asks. Kate snorts. Him? Ha! I pay my rent, and I have my own padlock on the door, so he can't come snooping around. We all sit down to dinner. Pop gives Cat a turkey neck to crunch up in the kitchen. He finishes that, and crouches and stares at us eating. Kate gives him tidbits, which I am not supposed to do. I don't think she really wants to eat the turkey herself. She's pretty strictly a fruit and yogurt type. After dinner, Tom leaves to meet Hilda, and I walk home with Kate, carrying a bag of scraps and giblets for her cats. While she's fiddling with the two sets of keys to open her door, the man next door sticks his head out. "'Messenger was here a little while ago with a telegram for you. Wouldn't give it to me.' "'A telegram?' Kate gapes. "'Yeah, he'll be back.' The man looks pleased, like he's been able to deliver some bad news, and pulls his head in and shuts his door. We go into Kate's apartment, and cats come meowing and rubbing against her legs, and they jump up on the sink and rub and nudge the bag of scraps when she puts it down. Kate is muttering rapidly to herself and fidgeting with the coat and bag, and not really paying much attention to the cats, which is odd. Lots of people send telegrams on holidays. It's probably just greetings, I say. Not to me, they don't, Kate snaps, also sounding as if they better hadn't. I go over to play with the little kittens. The marmalade-coloured one is the strongest of the litter, and he's learned to climb out of the box. He chases my fingers. Kate finishes feeding the big cats, and she strides over and scoops him back into the box. You stay in there. You'll get stepped on. She drops Susan back in with the babies to take care of them. The doorbell rings, and Kate yanks open the door, practically bowling over an ancient little messenger, leaning sleepily against the side of the door. "'Take it easy, lady! Take it easy! Just sign here,' he says. She signs, hands him the pencil, and slams the door. The orange kitten has got out again, and Kate does come close to stepping on him as she walks across the room, tearing open the telegram. He doesn't know enough to dodge feet yet. I scoop him back in this time. Kate reads the telegram and sits down. She looks quite calm now. She says, Well, he died. Huh? Who? My brother. He's the only person in the world I know who would send me a telegram. So he's dead now. She repeated, And I can't figure whether to say I'm sorry or what. I always thought, when someone heard of a death in the family, there'd be a lot of crying and commotion. Kate looks perfectly calm, but stranger somehow. Has he been sick? Kate shakes her head. I don't know. I haven't seen him in twenty years. There is silence a moment, and then Kate goes on, talking half to herself and half to me. Me not coot. He never talked to anyone except about his money. That's all he cared about. Once he tried to get me to give him money to invest. 
That's the last time I saw him. He has an old house way up in the Bronx. But we never did get along, even when we were kids. Did he have a wife or anything? Who sent a telegram? He said a housekeeper, just as mean as him. She'd buy him day-old bread and dented cans of soup because they were cheaper. She suited him fine, saved him money, and never talked to him. Well, she'll get his money now if he left any. That's what she's been waiting for. She sent me the wire. Twenty years, I think. That's a long time not to be speaking to your own brother, and him living just a ten-cent phone call away. I wonder. She couldn't just not give a hoot about him. They must have been real mad at each other, and mad at the whole world, too. Makes you wonder what kind of parents have they had, with one of them growing up loving only cats and the other only money. Kate is staring out the window, and stroking the old stray tomcat between the ears, and it hits me. There isn't a person in the world she loves or even hates. I like cats fine, too, but if I didn't have people that mattered, it wouldn't be so good. I say, so long, quietly, and go out. End of chapter 15